Okay, this next lesson, we're going to ask the question, why do you want a relationship with God? You know, the answers can be many. But first of all, before we, we, we get into this subject, I want to mention on the last program we talked about to say and how, how our relationship begins with God is three words, I was wrong. Now, I'm, I'm painfully, painfully aware of the fact that you may not want to, that you may choose another method. Now, it won't work, but you may choose another method. And, and the other method may be, well, I, you know, I just know that I'm unconditionally loved, and that's, that's all that matters. And you, you can choose that that way. But I'm, I'm just revealing to you what works. And what works in beginning a relationship with God is three words, I was wrong. And that starts with, you know, a conviction of sin. If God is calling you, the way he gets your attention is he uses the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And he, he instills in you, through the power of God's Spirit working in your life, he instills in you a conviction. Okay, uh-oh, what I'm doing is wrong. I got this addiction. I got this problem. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I know I'm not doing this or that or whatever. But it starts with a conviction. It's a window of opportunity. It's a window of opportunity to admit, God, I'm wrong. And, you know, a lot of people, that window is open for a short while, and a lot of people go up to that window and slam it down shut and say, I don't want to deal with that. And they choose another method, such as, just believe, just accept, just invite Jesus into your heart. I know I'm unconditionally loved, and that's all that matters, and doesn't matter about, about anything else. Okay, so having just reviewed that a little bit, the last program, program number three, I was wrong. Now we're going to go into the question, why do you want a relationship with God? Now, before I get into this, I want to set up something about human nature that you need to understand, and that is there is always a motive for what you want to do. Often, our motives are not quite pure. In fact, uh, I would say more than anything else, our motives are not pure. We don't consider this when it comes to God, that we could have an impure motive for wanting to know him. We just think all motives are right, you know. There is a theory that I learned many years ago called, it's referred to as the self-satisfaction theory. And it basically says that everything people do, they do it the reason they do it is because they're getting some kind of self-satisfaction out of it. In other words, if you weren't getting some kind of self-satisfaction, you wouldn't be doing the thing that you're doing. What is troubling about this concept is that when you apply it to people who live lives of misery, you think, well, what kind of self-satisfaction are they getting out of that? You know, you know, you might look at a woman who's in an abusive in an abusive relationship and you think well, there's no self-satisfaction of getting knocked around, getting beat up. Well, no, there's not. But there are other players that, that come in, such as this guy takes care of me. This guy gives me all my toys I want. You know, this guy is a great lover or whatever, you know. It's like that story I heard one time about the woman that went to a psychiatrist, and she said, I don't understand. He said, every guy I date beats me up. And he said, well, where do you go to find guys at? Where do you go to find men at? And she said, bikers bars. And she's got this bumper sticker on the back of her car that says, have you gotten laid lately? Now, I think he was just kidding about this little story, but it sort of, it brings home a good point that that self-satisfaction, no, 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 self-satisfaction is not in that 
I've got this abusive husband, and you sometimes wonder, you ask the question, why don't you just leave the bum? And yet, many times they don't. Well, the reason is, is because in other areas, there is a trump card of, okay, I, but I am getting self-satisfaction over here. And that trumps this abusive situation, the fact that this guy takes care of me, this, the fact that this guy's a great lover, the fact that this guy, you know, gives me all my toys. That's the self-satisfaction. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Everything that we do, we do, we make decisions on, okay, it's, it's, it revolves around this concept of self-satisfaction. And you could look at, you know, the bum on Skid Row, and he's sleeping outside on a cold winter night. And you think, well, what kind of self-satisfaction is that? Well, there's no self-satisfaction in being cold or anything like that, but but there is self-satisfaction in not working, no responsibilities, no obligations. I don't do you know no nothing. I don't I don't do you know I'm just living off you know freely or whatever. That's where the self-satisfaction is at. As we apply this and we consider human nature, and we're asking why do you want a relationship with God? The first thing we got to discover here is that is your own personal self-satisfaction. There is a motive for people wanting to know God. And I'm saying there's only one right motive, and I'll get to that, but there's a half million wrong motives for wanting to know God. Okay, what are some of the wrong motives? Well, some people just, you know, first of all, there is, even if you're totally corrupted, an evil person, there is something in the human nature that you want to be you want to be morally upright. You want people to look at you as morally upright. Now some people to do this choose religion. They choose God. They choose a church of their choice and it makes them look morally upright. Now there are other people who don't care about religion, but they too have something in their spirit that that where they want to be viewed as morally upright. You know, the liberal a lot of liberal people will while they may not like religion or, or anything connected with God, you know, they, they want to be seen as a moral, upright people. And so they have their godliness with a small letter G. And that is saving the planet. It is feeding all the bums on Skid Row. You know, that's, that's their form of godliness. We've got to take care of each other. And, and what's fascinating about these people are they're not concerned. They're, they're not about to help them help others with their money. They won't lift a finger to do that. They they want the government to feed all the bums on Skid Row, to house all the poor people, to to take care of the planet, to, you know, global warming, uh, climate change, which is basically a cash cow for special interest groups. There's no science behind it. But, you know, all of this is, is a form of morality. It's a form of godliness that if I can just be involved in all these things, it is, the, it is my morality. And many of these people are lacking any type of godly morality. You know, they, they, you know I mean, well, yeah, I got a wife, but I also have, I'm having an affair with another woman, and I got a gay lover across town. But, I'm go, but I got my morality. We're going to save this nation. We're going we're gonna to save the planet. We're going to save the spotted owl. We're going to you know, save the whales and, 
while we abort 50 million children, whatever. But, you know, we're going to do that. It is a form of godliness. So I'm just saying the motive for wanting to know God. Now, I know I was dealing with non-religious people there, but uh, I had to bring them into the picture also. But, but the motive for wanting to know God, what is your motive? Now, for religious people, they have a very, very powerful motive, and it's, it's a legit motive, and that is they want to live forever. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, I, I, if you did a survey and said, how many of you want to live forever? I, I think everybody would probably, I guess, unless your life is really miserable, but the idea of eternity, the idea of something out there beyond this physical life, and it is, I mean, it is a resurrection of the dead, and that's, that's, that's very true, but when that is your motive, again, we're talking about self-satisfaction here. This is an incredible self-satisfaction. I don't want to die. I, I mean, I know I got to, but I want to live forever, but when that is your motive for wanting to know God, it's um, while it's legit and I understand it and nearly all people want it, it's not the right motive. God could have just granted everybody eternal life from the get-go. I mean, that, let's just face reality there. He could have just said, okay, everybody live forever. No, God's um, concern is creating beings like himself uh, with godly character. In other words, man is flawed and he wants, he wants man to have eternal life. But he doesn't want man to have eternal life living in misery, living in sin, destruction, and self-destruction. And that's how we all come into the world. There's a monster inside of all of us, and we just have to feed that monster. And we all have fed that monster the wrong, you know, the stuff that creates the monster, inflames the monster, you know, makes the monster a Frankenstein or whatever, you know. And, and so God wants to, his agenda is not, just granting us eternal life. He could have done that from the get-go. His agenda is creating beings like himself, human beings, created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, creating the godly character within a man. That's his most important agenda with dealing with mankind. Because he realizes that if you give sinners still practicing their sins, no intention of changing, you know, I'm just unconditionally loved. Doesn't live. Doesn't matter how how I live out my life. Doesn't matter if I have any morality or not. I'm just unconditionally loved. You know, as I brought up in a in a former program. You know, how do you explain churches ordaining homosexual priests into the ministry? Well, the concept, the way they justify it is, they say, well, well, I'm unconditionally loved, and I know I am, and it doesn't matter. Morality, God's standard of mor morality, doesn't matter. Now, another thing we need to consider when we talk about this subject of why do you want a personal relationship with God, we are examining our motives here. We've talked about the, the driven, driven, driving force of self-satisfaction, you know, what's in it for me. Now, I want to change gears here a little bit and talk about the ministry of the ministers that dot the landscape. You know, when we talk about, okay, what is the, why do ministers want to serve God? Now, you got to consider this. You, you don't want to be gullible in this area. Jesus talked about there would be many false prophets that would come in his name saying, I am the Christ. So he warns us about this. In fact, Matthew 15 and verse 8, it says, these people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So Christ warns about, not, not only does he warn about false prophets, he also warns about 
the wrong kinds of motives coming from the people as to why do I want a personal relationship with God. So we have to address both of these subjects here. So when I talk about, okay, what is the motivation for a minister? Is is the motivation always pure when it comes to serving God? Well, this I'm going to read to you from an article entitled Voices of Unbelief Behind the Pulpit. And you can search this on the internet and find this article for yourself. I think originally it came out in a Tyler, Texas paper uh, several years ago, but you can just type in that title, Voices of Unbelief Behind the Pulpit. It says, on Sunday morning, you'll find him leading hymns in one of the independent Church of Christ congregations somewhere in South Carolina. Call him Adam. He is a church administrator, a worship minister, and a self-proclaimed atheist agnostic. This last detail is a secret. After all, his wife and teenage children are devout believers that he needs to stay employed. In other words, what they believe in is this guy, you know, this minister, my father, my husband, whatever, he needs to keep a salary. So they don't reveal this last part that he is an atheist. And agnostic. They don't they don't tell the congregation that. Continue quoting. He says, Here is how I handle my job. I see it as play acting. I kind I kind of see myself as taking on a role of a believer in a worship service and performing, he said during a interview. I know how to pray publicly. I can sing. I love singing. I don't believe what I'm saying anymore in, in some of the songs, but I see it as taking on a role and performing. Maybe that's what it takes for me to get myself through this, but that's what I'm doing. Okay, voices of unbelief behind the pulpit. Uh, Daryl, a Presbyterian, still calls himself a Jesus follower, but adds, I reject the virgin birth. I, re- I reject substitutionary atonement. I reject the divine divinity of Jesus. I reject heaven and hell in the traditional sense, and I am not alone. Then there's West, the United Methodist. I think the word God can be used very expressly in some of my more meditative modes. I've thought of God as a kind of poetry that's written by human beings. Now, this is pathetic indeed. I mean, here's a guy who is saying he views God as a kind of poetry written by human beings. Jack, the Southern Baptist, has concluded that the grand scheme of Christianity for me is a bunch of bulk. Thus, he is quietly planning a new career. If someone said, "Here, hey, here's $200,000, I'd be turning in my notice in, the, in this week saying a month from now is my last Sunday because I can pay off everything. Again, they don't know how many of these men are out there who fit into this category. Now, again, it's not the majority. I can guarantee you that. I think most ministers probably serve God with a pure heart. I mean, they're sincere. And of course, you know, sincerity, you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. I don't know how many fit into this category, and I don't mean to discourage you. I'm just trying to get you to think about there is a motive. There is, and I'm trying to get you not only to examine your own motive, wanting to know God, but also be aware of the potential danger that is out there of men behind the pulpit. Occupational ministry, how hard is it to get somebody to be paid to do this? I mean, how hard is that? Occupational ministry. You know, if you really want it, to find a true minister, I would say you'd need to find somebody, let's see here, who has the conviction that he has a message that he needs to get out to the world. He is driven by 
the Spirit of God. In other words, what I'm saying is the ministry is a calling. It's not something that you choose as an occupation. It never has been. It is a calling from God. But maybe the way we could identify a true minister is to have a person who feels that he has to get a message to the public. He works a full-time job, and he doesn't get paid to be a minister. And even though he works a full-time job, and even though he doesn't get paid to do this, he still feels, I've got to get a message to the public. Now, maybe that would be an authentic minister, if you could find that, an authentic evangelist, you know, if you could uh, find that. But it's probably hard to find. You know, Paul was a tent maker. I assume he provided his own way. It was not what I call an occupational ministry or an occupational minister, because they're a dime a dozen. I mean, of course you can find someone to work for $200,000 a year. Of course you can. Whatever. I don't know, you know, I don't know what ministers get paid, but I'm just saying it's a fairly decent, easy job to get involved in. I think you can get your degree online for pity's sakes. Why do you want a relationship with God? So there are healthy reasons, I guess, that people choose to want a relationship with God, and then, then there are very unhealthy reasons. Uh, okay, let's look at, let's see, to look religious. Yeah, the, the typical religious hypocrite here. You know, to look religious. When it's, when it's convenient, by the way. Uh, yeah, let me, let me say that. When it's convenient. Only when it's convenient. Now, if you're hanging out with your buddies at, you know, the bar or the gay bar or whatever, you know, it may not be convenient, but it depends on. I remember it, it was, uh, I was out, I used to ride motorcycles more than I do now, but I was out and we were eating at a restaurant and this guy, a bunch of guys, five guys were eating and this one guy, you know, at first he told about going to church and stuff like that. And, but then as we went out to eat, he was, he saw this nice looking woman waiter a waitress i should say he made this vault i mean i can't say it but it's it, it was one of, it was a really vulgar degrading comment about her the other guy was listening and he said and where did you say you go to church oh man that was that was classic that was a classic moment because at first he had told us he was religious and then he's switched to the other side of these vulgar comments and my friend said well where where did you say you go to church at and the guy didn't even catch it he actually answered oh yeah first baptist church or whatever he didn't the the insult went right over his head it really did he didn't get it but yeah to look religious a very common reason to appease my parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Now, all the time. All the time. People getting into religion to appease their parents. Uh, to get myself saved. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, you know, it yeah, it depends on what your definition of saved is. Is If saved is unconditional surrender to God, where you allow God through the power of his Holy Spirit that you receive at baptism through the laying on of hands, if, if that's what you're taught to create— godly character within the man oh, that's what you're talking about and then I, I agree with you to get yourself saved is a good thing but if it's if you if your idea of saved is just you know i'm going to check in with the lord at the end of my life just so i can have life after i die and which is a lot of people's motives by the way then it's the wrong motive to make my life work now that's a that's a that's a good motive right there to make your life work because obviously you know when i see people who claim to be Christian, and their lives is a dysfunctional mess. Their children are rebellious. Their husband and wife, I mean, I can think of people in church, the husband and wife, 
Oh, they couldn't get enough of church, but they hated each other. They just hated each other, and it was obvious. And you know, and I'm I'm thinking, why are you wasting your time being religious? Why not work on your marriage, and when you get your marriage straightened out, then think about coming back to church? Now, I know people, well, where are you supposed to get your marriage worked out at? You know, aren't you supposed to go to church to get your marriage worked? Well, no, you're supposed to go to a marriage counselor, hopefully a Christian one. You know, that, that probably should do you some good, but uh, a Christian marriage counseling. But get, get your baggage, you know, let's work on some of the things before, you know, there is this desperate need to look religious. And again, these motives are not right. To avoid hell, another motive for wanting to know God. Now, this one is not as bad as it used to be. I mean, we went back 50 years ago. The threat of hell, you know, more people have come down to the altar from a threat of hell than ever from the promise of heaven. I mean, heaven, you know, streets of gold and there's a cabin in the sky, so be careful Be careful when you step out the door. You know, that, that that's not very appealing. But yeah, the threat of hell and that, that threat of this, this, this concept of hell, of I think a lot of people probably you know, wanted to know God for the wrong reason there, too, to avoid that place. You know, there's just, there's there's all kinds of reasons for wanting to know God, for wanting a relationship with God. And, and we're asking the question, why do you want a relationship with God? Now, I want to give you some positive reasons here to think about that I, I don't know if I've ever heard these reasons in church or not. Uh, it's strange, but all these other, you know, avoid hell, uh, you know, just th- things like that. Yeah, uh, before you kick the bucket, get salvation, you know. I've heard all those reasons, and people obsess on it. But I'm going to tell you some, some, some four reasons here for why you might want to know God. Number one, your personal intellect is limited. Now, I know that's an insult to a lot of people, but so be it. But you cannot build or create something smarter than yourself. You ever thought about that? You know, I mean, here we are, these people our you know pea brain human beings and i know that man's mind that we have accomplished a lot of things a lot of creations a creativity and technology and all that you know that's the mind that god gave us but when you look compare it to god's creation you know the earth that travels around the sun at a speed of 64,000 miles per hour the hydrologic cycle there is no new water being created the uh, vapors rise up off the oceans, leaving the deadly salt water behind. The vapors turn to clouds. The clouds are carried away, and they release their golden droplets of rain on the earth. And the rain goes into the creeks, and the creeks go into the river, and the rivers go back into the ocean. That's a just a cyclical process, cleansing, cyclical cleansing process. But there is no new water being created. But you didn't you didn't create that, did you? You you didn't come up with that, did you? You know so you. You cannot build or create something smarter than yourself. There is a great designer that can enlighten your mind through his spirit that you can receive at baptism. So, you know, I, I, I'm sort of into that. I mean, I know my intellect is limited. So to connect with this being that, that did all this seems to me like a wise decision. Now, that, okay, number one, that's a decent reason for wanting to know God. Your personal intellect intellect is limited Two, a good reason for wanting to know god in order to make your life work the bible is an instruction book it's a manual on how to make your life work this will work this will not work it's very simplistic by the way every mistake you have ever encountered was the result of a violation of a principle of god's law you broke god's law and that's why your life started to come apart at the seams 
Oh my goodness, there are all kinds of examples we could think of that, but may not have time to go through all of those. But anyway, you know, in order to make your life work, I mean, you know, we all want our lives to work and we just sort of bypass the instruction book. You know, men are good at that. I, I'm sort of guilty of that also. I like to look at pictures and put things together. And I'll be putting something something together, and I'll come to a point where I realize, uh-oh, I should have read the instructions first because now i got to tear it all back apart just to get this one piece in there. So, yeah, instruction book, make your life work. Third good reason for wanting to know God is in order to make, in order to avoid pain. Pain is one of the motivating forces that God will allow in order to get us to change. Now, have you ever asked the question, why? You know, why when we cut ourselves, it hurts? We bleed, it, it hurts, you know, you stump your toe, your shin, you know, it, I mean, why did God create it, us, this sensory organism that we feel pain and we don't like pain? Well, it's actually a safeguard. It's protecting you. It's saying, look, dummy, stop doing this. I talked earlier about the bum on Skid Row. You know, I don't feel sorry for a lot of people. Now, I do feel sorry for third world countries when I see their little, little stick bodies and starving to death. I'm sorry for those people. But in America, don't expect me to feel sorry for a lot of people. In fact, someone told me, anytime you feel sorry for someone, run like hell in the opposite direction because they're getting ready to screw you up one side and down the other. And a lot of truth to that, this motivated by pain is a critical point here. If the guy sleeps outside on a cold winter night, he may do it once or twice, but he's, he's, in other words, the pain of that causes us to change. The Bible puts it like this, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. You know, starving is a great motivator, especially when you know in America, all I got to do to feed myself is just do some chores or take out the garbage or, you know, maybe eat the garbage. I don't know. But, you know, just do something and, so, and I can get some money and I can go buy myself something to eat. It's a wonderful motivator. It's a cure for stupidity, pain. And often as Christians, we, thinking that we're Christian, you know, we see the guy will work for food. Believe me, that guy does not want to work. He's like the comedian said, I offered one an onion to paint my home and he wouldn't even take it. Uh, it's not about work. It's, it's about a handout. So pain is a great motivator that causes people to change. And often as Christians, we take away that pain from others, thinking we're doing a Christian duty. Well, I'm going to give this bum $5 and, you know, you know, they caught one of these guys. He had a couple thousand dollars on him with his little sign, we'll work for food. But people are gullible, you know, they are. And they don't think, okay, what's the motivating factor here? Okay, God was trying to change this person. And yet we come to the rescue often at the wrong, the timing's not right. Now, the next reason you might want to, for knowing God is eternity yeah, I touched on that, you know, living forever. The reason I mentioned this, although that should not be the the main motive because it can be just a, a selfish, selfish motive, and often people do this at the end of their life, right before they kick the bucket. You know, they got a bucket list, and on that, at the end of that bucket list is I'm going to get myself saved before I kick the bucket. And it's uh, a little too late for God to change the man in the mirror when you've got tubes running out of your body and you've got uh, two weeks to live, you're not going to be able, able to develop a lot of character that God wants to develop if that's the way you look at it. The Bible speaks of the 
outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Yeah, your body's wearing out. You're getting old, you're getting ugly, and you're going to die. But the renewing of that new creature in Christ takes time. You don't just do it in one day. You don't create a new creature in Christ just because you say, I love you, Jesus, or you raise your hand at some kind of invitation and you say, I, yeah, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Th- that That's the beginning stage of conversion. And real conversion takes a lifetime. So don't put it off. Don't put it off. We have a lifetime, but eternity, in order to accomplish all that you want to accomplish, you will need eternity. God never intended for us in this life to have enough time to do everything that we want to do. Now, think about some of the things you want to do. So, uh, think about some of the projects you want to do. And, you know, the, the bottom line is you're, you're not going to be able to, to do everything that you want to do because you're going to get old and your body's going to wear out and you're just not going to be able to do it. So another healthy motive for wanting to know God is the idea that, yeah, God offers eternity for human beings. There is a way to get that, to achieve that. So all these things we have to consider. Now, I'm running out of time, but on the next program, I'm going to tell you the one thing that you have to have in order to have a relationship with God. And that one thing that you have to have really has very little to do with you. In fact, it has nothing at all to do with you. But if you don't have this one thing, oh, you can be religious. You can go to church six days a week, twice on Sunday. You can sing in the choir. You can, you can do backstrokes through religious activity, activities. But if you don't have this one thing, you cannot truly have a relationship with God. Everything hinges on this one issue that I'm going to deal with next time. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.